Welcome to another edition of Arzu Weekly. My name is Ruben Smolker, and I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Hello, Johnny. Hi there. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well. And Molly Brovsky. And today we're going to talk about, I think, uh, the most controversial topic that we've discussed uh, since we began this podcast, and that is the controversial issue of the inclusion of the Otsma Yehudit party in the in in the in the block together with uh, with Abayd Hayyudi, and this is something that has garnered just tremendous response, tremendous reaction uh, from from people from all sides, and it's important to sort of frame what we're going to try to talk about in this conversation and what we're not going to try to talk about. This is not a podcast about Israeli politics, even though I'm sure we'll get there pretty soon, but. It's not a podcast about politics. It's, to, it's, a, it's a podcast about religious Zionism. And uh, what I thought I'd like to discuss today uh, is the intersection of politics and religious Zionism, but the question of, is there a place, or what is the place of nationalism within, the, within a religious Zionist worldview? Meaning, the Otsma Yehudit party, uh, for, its, um, for, its, for all of the criticism about it, claims to be based upon Jewish values. And if that's true, so is A, is that correct? And B, if it is correct, so where is our disagreement with them? Where, where is the point of departure by which we say, you know, those values are not our values. Yes, there is a concept of Jewish nationalism, but those values are not the values that we believe in. Okay, I'm going to start with Rav Johnny, and I, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I feel like, I'm going to be sort of a moderator today and uh, maybe play devil's advocate, but really we'll start with Rajani and go from there. Rajani, how do you address this, this in your mind? Okay, so uh, as I was uh, briefly speaking to you before the recording, I want to give out a disclaimer, which is I'm not a man of politics. Moreover, I'm not an expert in politics. So my remarks here are more so as a person privileged with being able to vote in the modern state of Israel, who's been trying to follow as best one can in the uh, kerfuffles and, and non-stop streaming of news about events taking place over the last couple of weeks. And for my mind, uh, this issue begins where Ruben began, which is the, the relationship between politics and religion or politics and ideology. Uh, and I'd like to just begin with a story. You see, on, on Shabbat, as everyone kind of gets together and tries to avoid talking politics outside of shul, so obviously that's exactly what happened. When I was speaking to my dear friend Ariel, who lives nearby me, and I said to Ariel after leaving shul, so what do you think about what's been happening this week? He said, what's the problem? I said, well, you know, this, this deal, this, uh, this brokerage between Bayudi and Otsma, he said, well, it's just politics. I said, Ariel, what are you talking about? Otsma have extreme ideologies. Aren't you troubled by them? And he said, I worry about ideology once the parties in politics, once they get the seats. Until then, it's just about numbers. And as I pondered his remarks going home, I wondered, do some people just look at Israeli politics as a numbers game and after which they then consider the ideology, and that obviously will lead us to question how strong a place does religious nationalism play in, in this election and others? Or do some people be believe that ideology must be clarified and crystallized and something you agree with before supporting a particular group? And I Wait, Johnny, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna uh, first of all, I add that I also spoke to a number of my Israeli friends here in Yabin Yamin, and they were much less troubled. They, they, like, they said, oh, now you explain it to me. And now I understand why all the Americans are going crazy. Meaning they, they see this as a very Anglo phenomenon. Calm down. It's just politics. You know, and I, that's really it's something that a number of Israelis said to me. That's first and foremost. But I, I'd like you to get to the second, not, not the intersection of politics and religion, but if you don't mind focusing more on the, on the religious perspective, how do you see a nationalism as playing a role Within, within Judaism, within your belief. To what degree are you a Jewish nationalist? Not of the degree of violence, but you know what I'm saying? Where, where do you see nationalism playing a role in, in Jewish identity? I think you have to begin with some, with some um, definitions. Is nationalism a pride in the Jewish people and in the Jewish state? Absolutely, I'm proud of the Jewish people, I'm proud of the Jewish state. Is nationalism coming at the exclusion of residents of the Jewish state or to the detriment of 
uh, other people not belong to the Jewish people? Is this about uh, demoting some people? Is this about a certain hierarchy? Then I'm somewhat uh, uncomfortable, uh, and depending on how it's expressed, I could be very uncomfortable. Yeah, but I want to unpack again. You say, yes, absolutely, I'm proud of the Jewish nation and the Jewish state. You're proud because it's an incredible accomplishment and we have great high tech, or you're proud because that stems from your, from your values as a Torah Jew? I, I, it stems from my values as a Torah Jew to believe in the Bible, which is our mandate for the Jewish state. And I, I don't need to go beyond Ben-Gurion who makes that very, very clear. Ultimately, the Bible is the mandate for Medina Israel, and so, the basis of the Jewish people and the covenant between the Jewish nation and God is why I chose to move from pretty old Edgware in northwest London to, to Israel and make it my home and, and, and been here and studied here and, and proud to raise my kids here. But though that proud, pride is absolute and stemming from a religious perspective, that need not come at the cost of an acknowledgement of and respect for uh, other residents of this country and other contributions towards the establishment of this state of Israel, notwithstanding the biblical basis of the land of Israel. You know, the distinction between Medina Israel and Eretz Israel has to be clear. We talk about nationalism, you know, Wait, which if, you're, so, if, you're, if your presence here, and I'm going to throw it to Mali. Mali, first of all, do you agree with what Johnny said? That your, your nationalism stems from your belief in Tanakh and your connection to the Tanakh? Okay, so I'd like to frame this. First of all, should I respond to your first question about um, my larger perspective here, or should I just go straight to this nationalism? Yeah, whatever you like. It's, it's okay, so I feel like I do want, I want to start by really framing, framing how I, you know, because I think it's important, which is, I, I think you can, you know, make this distinction between, well, let's say, let's, let me put it this way. I think you can have the argument that this is purely a political decision, you can make arguments on, you know, even as a political decision, is it an acceptable political decision? But I think that the, the issue for us is that, sorry about that. Okay, let me just ignore that. Um, I think the issue for us as religious Jews is that is that as a as the religious national as the as the uh, religious Zionist party, um, we should hold ourselves to higher standards because we are religious, meaning. Just because something may be acceptable politically does not mean that we have the luxury of, of playing dirty politics because if we're religious, we have to hold ourselves to higher religious standards. And that's especially true, I believe, and this is where I go into your question, Ruby, and this is where the questions tie together. It's especially true because the party that we're talking about or the, 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 the tension is about the people who, who, who we're finding problematic are speaking in the name of religion. They're not just speaking in the name of some abstract ideology. They're speaking as religious Jews. And so even more so, I think, as religious Jews, we have to be very clear about what our beliefs are um, and, and where our lines are and what, what we believe and what we agree with and what we disagree with. So now I'll come to your question about how I, because I've been thinking a lot about this question of nationalism. And, and, and I do, okay, so what's been helping me um, kind of formulate for myself how I think about nationalism is this book that I just read, which is, I, I really recommend to everybody. I think it's terrific by Yoram Chazoni called The Virtue of Nationalism. Um, and in it, his, he's basically thinking about the larger issue in the world. Um, you know, nationalism has become such somewhat of a dirty word uh, because people equate it usually, unfortunately, with this, this type of, the type of nationalism that, that we're concerned about, which is very close to hatred, let's say. And he argues that that's not really what nationalism is. And his definition of nationalism is the following. And this is important because he, he specifically thinks that this is a Jewish value that stems from the Tanakh. And that's why I want to start from his definition. Because what he says is, yes, you know what Johnny said, the Bible believes in Jewish nationalism. His argument is the Bible doesn't just believe in Jewish nationalism. It believes nationalism as a political system, meaning his argument is that, and this is also very important to the conversation, he says there's a difference between tribalism and nationalism. Tribalism is where I think, the, you know, the place where racism dwells, right? My your tribe and I hate you because of your, you know, your tribal affiliations versus my tribal affiliations, and that is negative. But Judaism, or, or the Bible, does not believe in tribalism. It believes in 
moving past tribalism. And what nationalism is, according to him, is a group of people who have a set of shared cultural values, shared history, um, shared beliefs and ideology, and they come together in their nation state and they make peace among their various tribes and they create this like autonomous nation state for themselves. And he believes that the, the, the vision in the Torah is a whole bunch of little nation states living autonomy from each other, and, but still appreciating and valuing each other's contribution to the world. And there's a lot of, he has a lot of very good points about why he thinks that's a healthier model than some type of globalist or imperialist model, um, which I, we don't have to yes, get into. Yes, but Molly, that doesn't address the issue of Jewish nationalism, the divinity, the, the, meaning that's all fine and good, and that applies to every nation, the American nation, the Russian nation, and I'm sure, right. you know, he's in favor of that as well. But there's a, here, we in, in, in religious Zionism, it's a religious nationalism where, yes, we come right. together around a core values. And one of those core values is that, that God chose the Jewish people and that Correct. God gave us the, this, the Holy Land. And it's okay, our, but that's all true. But once you say, and he, he makes this argument, because I looked through the book this morning just to make sure, you know, I was going to be quoting him accurately and that it, that it aligned with my beliefs and values. He's, and I think he's right about this. He says, Within Judaism, I mean, one of the things that, 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 that's a, that kind of expresses a healthy nationalism is that other people can join your group, whether that's as a minority or whether that's like he gives examples of, let's say, Ruth HaMoaviyah, but there she even converts. But I would say that even, even that's not true, meaning you can have Ger Toshav in Eretz Yisrael, right? You can, you, and again, in the state of Israel, right, you can have... Um, and we don't get into another conversation, which is about like, you know, can, can, there, can this be a Jewish state? Should that be mandated? Should we have a law mandating that this Jewish state? You can have, you can definitely talk about Israel being a Jewish state, which protects the rights of non-Jews to have equality um, and participation within that larger picture. Meaning, and I think that he thinks that's the biblical model. And I think that you can make a, a good argument for it. Um, and, and at least for me, I think that's the, that's the type of Jewish nationalism that I would like to, to, um, to affiliate with, right? And he talks about, let's say, Jewish tribalism, the way, we, you know, many tribes came here, okay, you know, they're all Jewish, but so like, you've got Sephardi and Ashkenazi and Ethiopian, but I would say part, and then you make peace among those tribes and you figure out how to make that work. I would include also non-Jews, right? And Arabs, Christian Arabs, Jews, assuming that they weren't, you know, against the value of the Jewish state that you live in. Okay, but that's legitimate for every, and this is part of nationalism. It's okay, it's legitimate for a nation to say, these are our values, and if you don't align with our values, right, then then the question becomes, you know, and again, this is where I'm I'm with Johnny, I want to be careful because I'm not a political creature, and I don't exactly know how the legal parts of this work, but, but like, you know, what are the criterions for citizenship, let's say, or what are the criterions, taking down broad countries, right? Like, there, there, it is legitimate as a country to say, you know, I don't know, to become an American citizen, you have to take a citizenship, citizenship test and, and, you know, pledge your loyalty to, I don't know what they do in an American citizen, I don't know. I mean, you have, to become a citizen, you have to pledge loyalty, but nobody's born a citizen has to pledge loyalty. There's no loyalty testing. Okay, States. so so maybe I, I don't know what we how you that's again I believe that's the legal experts and I think that there are some tricky, you know here you ha- might have competing values like the values of of you know um, openness democracy versus you know real issues of security and um, maintaining the integrity of your state right when there's a real threat people who who have a real possibility of undermining the integrity of your state. So those are conversations that you can have, but that doesn't mean that you're, you can have those and still believe very deeply in, um, again, in values such as inclusion, democracy, freedom, um, and not, you know, and, and, and firmly stand against racism and, um, you know, all the other things that, that we might have potential concerns about. Those don't have to contradict um, this vision that I'm putting forth as a healthy type of nationalism. Right. I, I would agree. I'm Johnny. I just want to cut in because I, I agree with, with Mali's distinction between um, uh, chosenness and, and, and what you talked about as some kind of much more extremely skewed uh, view of this. I just want to quote from a different book, this time 
from my mentor, uh, uh, Rabbi Sachs, from his book, Not in God's Name, because that book deals with religious extremism and violence. And here he draws a very interesting distinction, which I think uh, has fed into the discourse and, and the rhetoric that's been thrown around, because he contrasts a chosen people and a master race. And truth be told, I think most uh, citizens of Israel, in fact, most Jews around the world, although perhaps not all, uh, find a way to be comfortable with the notion of chosenness. I know that it can be uh, understood in a more palatable way and perhaps in a less palatable way. Nonetheless, nobody finds uh, comfort or is, uh, finds it acceptable to refer to themselves as a master race. And in his book, Not in God's Name, Rabbi Sachs says, a chosen people is the opposite of a master race. First, because it's not a race, but a covenant. Second, because it exists to serve God, not to master others. I believe that a number of people in respect to Otsma Yudit have viewed their policies and attitude as being a master race approach. And if that's what it means to be nationalistic, it's not just distasteful. They want to run away from it and label it. And I, I suspect we're going to get to this, but Rabbi Benny Lau has made a very, very strong uh, a position known in his synagogue, which has led to considerable remarks following that. Others may well say, no, we're simply emphasizing the value of being Jewish, being chosen, and what's wrong with that? So I think the distinction between a chosen people and a master race is key, and there is history behind the mentors and inspiration of some members of Otzma Yudit, which very much suggest a master race mentality, which is why a lot of people have said, keep them away, they're very dangerous, which is why Benny Lau has referred to the Nuremberg laws and, and Nazism. Uh, he's being sued for that, by the way, for slander by Otzma itself. Uh, whereas other people say this is merely just a glorifies and politicized emphasis on the Jewish quality fabric of the people of Israel who are the chosen nation. And, and surely I, I, okay. I just feel, I, I agree with you, but you know, if, if someone comes to emphasize, I mean, Benny Lau wrote in his article, he wrote a number of things. He wrote, those of us who see ourselves as partners in the great hope of Atikva, the dream of the return to Zion, the ingathering of the exiles, and the sovereignty of the Jewish state, Note that we are commanded to interpret the Torah in a manner in a manner that is compatible with the value of human equality and that extends equal rights to all the inhabitants of the land. We are commanded to interpret the Torah in a way that 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 is compatible with the value of human equality. Do you see that as you agree with him? Do you think that religiously the Torah demands that I, I grant equality to all citizens of the Jewish state? I, I would say that that um, I think I would. I mean, he's making he's making equality. I'll, I'll tell you, correct, but no. But I, I think I'll tell you what I think about that, Ruby. Because again, like you know, because I'm I've been thinking very broadly about these types of issues from a you know this larger world perspective. I it does very much resonate with me that one of the greatest gifts that the Torah gave to the world and to the Judeo Christian you know tradition is the idea that every human being is created in the image of God. I, I think that that's true. Um, and so, you know, command, you know, you know, whatever. You can have a conversation about whether Benny's language is, you know, a little perhaps, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to be very careful. Um, to a degree that is, you know, beyond the degree to which he needs passion. But I would say that, like, it's a fair and important point. And, and, I, and I think it's an important point and I agree with him that it needs to be made, because, especially because as John's saying, if there are people of, of, of Judaism saying that they, that exactly that is a matter of race and we have to say that is not our understanding of well, Judaism. Well, first I want to take issue with that. I want to take issue not with, the, not with the issue. I want to take issue with there are people that are saying that, at least in the name of Judaism, at least in this incarceration, in, in, in incarnation, not incarceration. They're not incarcerated. Okay, I think listen, I, I think the problem is, the problem here is that, is that they dance around. And so like, you're right, and it's important to say that, that like if you crossed a line, they haven't really crossed a line. The problem is that when you dance at the edge of racism, you're dancing at the edge of racism. That's already a problem. You know what I mean? Like just dancing at the edges of it is enough to say like, uh, you know, okay. I can't. Okay, 
I yeah, understand. I, I, I agree. And I'm really, I'm, I see my role here as moderating. You say yeah. that, and I agree with you that, you know, everyone has created Mitzalem Elohim, and that's a value in Judaism. Okay, that's, uh, that's a value that we derive and that Judaism gave, that all men are created equal, that, you know, that a Kadosh Baruch Hu, the Gemara and Sanhedrin, that everyone, everyone is an entire world. The Mishnah says that if you kill a person, a human being, it's like you destroy the whole world. That, that's definitely a value that's been transmitted in Judaism, and it's a value that is sort of, you know, uh, emanated to the rest of the world. Okay, but would you say that that value is on par with the many, many, many different sukim, you know, and 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 the the, the you know, um, you know, the, you know that were Amsegula and you know the Arsinai and Eretz Israel, and you know what I'm saying? Like, it just seems to me I'm asking from a religious perspective that yes. That, you know, we are religious Zionists, like I would call us a modern Orthodox. You know what I'm saying? And now there's a struggle between the modern and the Orthodox. Are we not sort of emphasizing the modern because the Orthodox to us sounds this, you know, unpalatable and we, it raises too many questions that we, that we would otherwise not want to ask? I, I don't think so. Let me answer this and then I would, I'm interested in hearing what Johnny has to say. I unapologetically believe that the reading of Tanakh reads the chosen people the way Rav Johnny was describing, um, you know, Rabbi Sachs's version is the correct one. Like I think that's a good of Tanakh. I mean, I, that that the reason, like if you look at, at the way Bereshit is structured, me at least, and again I'm not going to give a whole sheer on Bereshit, but but starts with humanity. Reason that we, and it's very clear that the reason that we have the story of Abraham is because God decided that the only way to bring his message to the world, it's from the top down, it's only going to work from the bottom up. The whole reason that Abraham is chosen, the whole reason for a chosen people, it says it in the Pasuk, is so that he will do to be, you know, the Abraham, that's why Abraham is chosen, and that's the story is of stone, so that he will teach his children to. To, to bring the messages of truth and justice to the world. That to me is fundamental to what people's is. We're not here to, you know, have this like, you know, we're the awesome ones who have this great relationship with God. We're here because we have a message to the world that's about um, justice and, and God's ethics and morality. And again, I believe that, that you're going to say, okay, so then why don't we have a universal message and we're supposed to be, why do we need a state? And again, then I go back to this, this idea, which I believe is correct, which is I don't think that this can be done in a universal way. I think it can only be done by, by nations living autonomously and then our nation giving this message to the rest of the world, which is, again, that's the vision of Yeshayahu, that you have, you know, Yerushalayim is the city on the hill, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the Protestants, you know, took that phrase and, and glorified it in their ideas. But this vision of a, of a, of a place from which truth and justice you know, and to be fair, Torah, but Torah, whatever Torah will mean in the, in the Messianic age, but it's essentially about justice and peace emanating from Jerusalem. That's what, that's what we're here for. If we don't understand what we're here for, I don't think we understand what it means to be a chosen people. I really, I believe that, I really believe that very passionately, and I don't think that that's being modern. I believe that's understanding um, Hanach and Jewish philosophy. And by the way, I believe that this is Rav Kook, because this is what Rav Kook talks about. Talks about he, it, I believe that, that vision of, of the purpose of the Jewish people very much aligns with this, which this what I've been putting forth as, you know, this thesis of Yaram Chazonis, which is Rav Kook believes that this is the Jewish people, he says, every nation has its own message to the world. The message of the Jewish people is that everything can be said that can be service of God and that God becomes the center of your life. And that's not just a theological statement. That's an ethical statement. And to me, I don't think that that's modern. I think that that's the heart of the Jewish message when obviously not everybody who interpreted Judaism believes that, but that's my very firm belief in, of what I think that's a Jewish message. It's not a modern message. Do you think Rev. Cook was, was not in favor of, of, of aggression? when necessary? That's a totally different topic. I mean, no, it's not. It's not. I don't mean racism, but I'm talking about militarism and, and militarism, we'll call it. 
militarism is not that militarism and then it depends for what purpose? Okay, Rev. Johnny, I don't want to doubt you're going a little to the other, the other direction. Mm -hmm. You want to respond? I, I think there's a variety of different ways of uh, looking at this. I mean, you, basically what you seem to be suggesting is Benny Lau was stretching his interpretation Jewish ethics as in order to seek a counterbalance to what he perceives as absolute and abhorrent extremism on behalf of Otsmayudit. Um, maybe he well, I just want, I, before you get, but let me just uh, say, say that as I, as I mentioned, you, like you said in the introduction, Benny Lau in his, in his introduction to his, his piece, he said, you know, we all want to be students of our own, you know, from, you know, Ohev Shalom or Odev Shalom. But sometimes you just have to be the Moshe Rabbeinu and say, cry out, whoever is for God, join me. Mila Shem Eli. And I, I, I noticed right away that he forgot to mention that what, what Moshe, who Moshe was calling and what he was calling them to do. And if you look in the Psukim that we actually read, the, you know, this past Shabbat, he was calling on Shevet Levi to come and stand up and murder all the people he, that, 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 that worshipped idolatry. Not murder them, execute them. So, you know, I, I'm not sure that Benny Lau, I feel he chose wisely in his example of calling Mila Shem because the Mila Shem call has always been to religious violence. Even the Maccabim, we like to think everyone in the Maccabee games, and they're like, Mila Shem you know, Matikyo, Mila Shem Even the, that example was, a, was an example of militarism and, uh, and, and uh, using militancy to, to espouse a religious position. So this is a, I'm not advocating it, but I think that it's very easy to take sources and use them for your, for your position when they don't actually always reflect what it is you're trying to say. But I'll, I'll let you go on. That may be the case, but let me you know. Everybody has their, either their favorite or, or the section of Tanakh that, that most speaks to them. And, and that perhaps is a, is a moment in that chapter that speaks to, to Benny Lau. In this uh, situation, to take somebody else, Moshe Lichtenstein, uh, in his letter that was widely published after this uh, broker uh, occurred, he quotes Ramban, who, if you recall, says that Abraham did a very bad sin in terms of his treatment of Hagar and Ishmael. And he does so in order to teach us that if we are basically either uh, short-sighted, or not to use those words specifically with reference to Abraham, but nonetheless, if we are swift to make decisions without couching with consideration of the human impact, then that can be deemed to be a grave sin. Uh, and so whether we quote it from uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, whether you learn to turn to uh, Avram or some other precedent, it's perfectly possible, I think it's uh, valuable, and I would personally argue necessary, to say, what do we have here? A party which perhaps previously was a very fringe and extreme voice, who through political maneuvering has now been given a chance to be normalized, has now been given a chance to kind of go to the mikvah, at least in the political sphere, and get some kind of hersha, legitimized. And what the voices we've heard and has been written has been said, this isn't a party which I want to have an association with. I, these are ideas which I find to be distasteful uh, and, and uh, something which shouldn't have any association with religion or religious parties or anybody tries to speak in the name of God. Okay, I want to sort of uh, switch, uh, switch gears for a, for a second. This is um, a, a, a podcast about not only ideology of religious Zionism, but the practicality of religious Zionism. Uh, so I, I would like to point out that all of the voices that we've heard, and if you look at your feeds, all the voices you know, speaking out are either in the United States, you know, from America, from American values, either secular, even some religious values, or almost universally from American connected sources, you know, like, like basically all the Rabbanim of Gush Etzion, Rav Gigi, and Rav Moshe Lichtenstein, and I respect them tremendously, and I value that. Where's everybody else? Where's the Kav? Where's Merkaz Harav? Where's Harav Milamid? Where is, where, you know, where, where are the chief rabbis of the state of Israel? Like, if this is a religious Zionist value, why is it only a, I would call, a liberal religious Zionist value? We're only hearing from, really, in the religious Zionist world, we're hearing from a tiny sliver of the religious Zionist community. We're not hearing from anyone else. So either they think it's all just politics, or they're, not, they're much less troubled than the American community is. 
Why do you think that is? Uh, I'd I take issue with that. Um, as you may know, I'm a relatively recent member of Bet Hillel, a silent member, admittedly, but nonetheless. And in the hours and days following this agreement, uh, my inbox get, got very, very filled up with many, many opinions by many um, religious thinkers in Israel, mostly. Now, how come some of them haven't come up with a big cold Kaira? Well, some of them may well have done. And some no, of them I, are Johnny, less I think well I just made my point. Beit Hillel, for I love the people, they're wonderful people. It's a tiny group that represents a tiny, tiny majority, minority that's the left fringe of orthodoxy. Why would the orthodoxy very legitimate? I love them all. But it's, it does not represent mainstream, or mainstream religious Zionism in Israel. It just doesn't. So, uh, so my second answer then would be the following. Uh, and I, I made it very clear at the beginning, I, I'm not somebody who is heavily involved uh, or particularly interested in on a regular day-to-day -day basis with politics. It's something which one has to take an interest in at times. However, there's a humdrum of activity which only seems to speak to those who wish to make the time and, and, and get involved in the conversations. I would say uh, this event has led many more people who are silent about politics to speak out. And those who are generally silent about politics perhaps aren't speaking. So, you know, unless you'd expect Rabbi Malama to speak the whole time about politics, you know, at what point does this need to hit the Richter scale for somebody to, to say, I object? I don't know. This, this is, it hit the Richter scale. I mean, if, if, if Rabbi it, Yosef, but as you said, from your article, community, I mean, in, the, in, the, in the commentator in America and why use paper, it hit the Richter scale. You know what I'm saying? If, as, if, as Rabbi Yosef Lichman said, this is not a political issue, this is a moral issue, it hit the Richter scale. So either they think it's all politics or they don't think it's a moral issue. And they're much, much, I personally think that the mainstream religious Zionist community is much, much less concerned about this issue as a moral issue. And they think that, you know, they think that the left wing is a little, like, calm down everybody. That, that's just the sense that I get. It's not a question of, you know, Molly, can you speak to that? Okay, so first of all, if, if let's say there is truth to your point, which is that um, you know, the world, the, the, the worldview that we're describing now is being espoused mainly by, you know, those who are coming from a certain philosophy, right? Let's, let's call it the, you know, Yeshiva Haritzion philosophy, and then it's Talmudim. So it doesn't mean that every single person who's going to speak out is going to be from Yeshiva Haritzion, but they might be a student from yeshiva, right? They might, it might, they might have their own yeshiva, but they might have learned in yeshiva in one day. Like the world of Rav Luchnstein, the world of Rav Soloveitchik, the world of Rav Amital is the world for which this is an important issue. So I can, part of me says, maybe that's the truth. Like this is not the only issue on which I feel like um, th there's a certain perspe world perspective in which that, you know, there are splits between the Dati, within the national religious Zionist world in which my personal, you know, ideology is, is represented by, you know, that worldview. And I don't find myself so much, you know, in the camp of what's more the, let's say, what we call the Khardali worldview, right? Okay, so maybe that's just the truth. Like, maybe that's just a fact. Um, but it's not just about this issue. That might be about women. That might be about secular studies. That might be about a lot of a lot of things in which there are lines. Um, but I, I I think that it's a little more complex. I do think that you're right that this is there. There is a like Israeli Anglo divide here. Part of that might also have to do meaning not the first thing I said. I think the other side of this is that I, it could be that Israelis. Um, it's not an issue for them for, for, a, for a, a bunch of reasons. One being that there are a lot, they don't, they do see this more as a political issue. And in general, Israelis are a lot, well, two things. One, Israelis are a lot more um, kind of clear-eyed about like, I remember, and this is a very common line we hear like, but I remember the first time I ever heard it was, I, I forgot what the issue was. Like, well, in Sweden and in Norway, right? And then somebody on the radio was like, well, we're not in Sweden and we're not in Norway. We are, you know, pleased. Um, and I think Israelis recognize that. And so, like, um, you know, like, they, they, they see things from a much more, like, um, kind of, like, clear-eyed, you know, like, like, kind of 
practical place so that it's, they, you know, like they, 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 they're wary of, of um, you know, what they would call like philosophizing to such a degree that you end up taking positions that are, you know, not rooted in reality um, and that can actually be dangerous. That's one thing. I also do think that like, um, it, it, well, I don't know if I should, how I should say this and if I should say this, but I'll try to say this carefully, which is that um, I think that it's possible that the American community is not fully in touch with um, what's like, the, again, the reality of, of how this is experienced in Israel. And so therefore they're seeing it. And, and you know, first of all, I, I very much agree with Rabbi Blau in his, just to, you know, because Rabbi Blau made that point that like, that he, he got this from Yossi Klein Levy's piece, which I agree with the point there, which was Yossi Klein Levy said, because Kahana speaks for, for Judaism and for religion, that's what we have to speak out. And that's Ray Blau's point, and I think that's correct. And I think it was an important point to make. But I'm saying this the proportion of importance that this has grabbed, you're right, the Richter scale that, the Richter scale that it hit in America is completely disproportionate to the way they usually react to things that go on in Israel. And it's and it's much it's much louder there than it is here, and that might have to do with there might be a place in which I agree with you that like modern orthodoxy in America a may um, have a stronger emphasis on certain values and a certain worldview that is not true here. And again, I, I also do think it's because they don't fully understand um, the complexities and the dynamics of how things are experienced here. Just, I don't just, know to, just here. to interject, not- uh, Best I'm, I can do. I, I'm unqualified <laughs> even to speak- Very well, well done, carefully done. <laughs> I, I'm unqualified to speak about the American experience as well as obviously from my British accent, but I did want to bring to your attention relevant- as it no, I, I heard firsthand also that in Britain, the reaction was very similar. I don't know if op-eds are as-, as, 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 as uh, Far, far fewer. But, but the big news, which uh, Elliot Resnick wrote in, in his Facebook feed, and he's the chief editor of the Jewish Press, is after three years of absence, Romer Kahana's books are now back on the shelves of the Yeshiva University Sforum sale. Meaning, uh, I, I think in actual fact that communities across the globe uh, are obviously reconsidering their positions in reference to a whole variety of uh, political stances, and that there is a rise of extremism also uh, it, within perhaps the discourse in America. And perhaps in response to that rise, the, the rebuttal has been not only in to the Israeli community, but also to those bubbling in the US. I don't know, I can't necessarily say, but I think it's interesting that in the same week that we have this furor in the press and a lot coming from the US, uh, I'm told that uh, his books are now back on sale. Uh, I, I would, uh, maybe they are, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that much out of it. You don't have, you're not having articles being written supporting what's my UD. And I, I think the thing that struck me the most was you saw the picture of the vote when they took the vote, you know, whether to include them or not, there was a sort of, it wasn't like, uh, okay, we'll be okay with it. You know, on the, the, the front page of Besheba, this, you know, you right. saw it on the Facebook feed, they were like, you know, standing up for Hitler Habu. And I think this actually, to me, like raises an issue that, that I think that people are not sensitive that goes to what Mali, Mali spoke about. I think Otsumba Yehudi, you have to sort of divide the idea of racism and militarism. You know, I, first of all, I personally believe that racism is a problem in the religious Zionists and the Dathilu community. There's a lot more of it than I'm comfortable with. Like, there's a lot of it. But even more than that, that becomes combined with a sense of fatigue and rage at ongoing acts of unceasing violence that's sort of just accepted and not responded to and 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 that reacted to by mainstream political things like oh that's so terrible let me mourn with you but we're just going to wait to the next one and nobody's saying anything and here you have this party that somehow speaks to that rage in, in a way that maybe ideologically people don't accept or don't agree with but at least it's an avenue at least somebody's saying something and, wait can and, i just ask you a question ruby yeah. Do you think, do you think that, I, I'm asking really honestly, do you think that, that that what you're describing, the people who are like, yes, we should unify with them, it was because they identified with Otsma Yehudi or because they were like, 
oh my gosh, we cannot let the, you know, we're very, very concerned about the left getting into power because we're very, very scared of the consequences of that. And we therefore need to do everything we can to make sure that, that the center right is in charge of the country because we are terrified of the left, not because they are identifying with, you know, the rage of it's not you deep, but it's like, oh my gosh, we're not, you know, we're not going to have whatever the number is. Again, this shows you how much I know about politics, 60 votes, 61 seats. Bibi won't be able to form a government. And, and they're terrified of that existentially. And therefore that is the, is the, which again, I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying it's that, that's the impetus. It's the like, oh my gosh, we need to do everything we can to save the country and make sure it's in hands that doesn't steer this ship into an iceberg, right? We need to have you in the hands that are going to keep this ship sailing in clear waters. And so we need to do everything we can to protect ourselves. And that's what you're seeing in Besheba. I don't know. I'm asking you. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I think there's, a, I think there's, I think that people sometimes confuse racism with rage and anger and anguish and pain. I think that they confuse yeah. that sometimes. That's, I mean, I don't know. You live in Gushet and you get it, got Laura Leinu much more than we do. And I don't know how the, how, how the people of Gush and the people of Alon Shkut can, can, can withstand all these things and still enjoy the coexistence that you do. And I have so much respect for that. But we don't live in the places, like, you know, we talk about the Chardal world. You're talking about mostly Yudav Shomron, you know, the Yudalumi people that, that, you know, the, that- Don't forget, Ruby, don't, don't forget, you keep talking to Yudalumi people as if like there's so many of them. How, what percentage of this country votes at the end, and not Yudalumi, sorry, I made a mistake. What percentage is 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 Zehut Yehudit? It's not a. Oh, not. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I'm talking about Yehud Leumi. I'm talking about the people. Okay, so I. Okay. So Yehud Leumi, you're saying you think that they're also identifying with the perspective of 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 uh, Yehudit? Then why are they not voting Otsma Yehudit? You could, you could, you could. There's a difference between voting for them and voting interests and thinking that they're beyond the pale and sympathizing with them. Okay. You're saying there's a lot more sympathy for them. Than... I think I think there is. I, that's the sense that I get. I'm 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 not justifying it or agreeing with it. I'm trying to you know describe a phenomenon that I see, you know, and, and talk to the students that I've talked to and the way that people talk about it, you know, and the anger that they have that they have to ride in buses and you know what I'm saying and like you know and rocks and you, you know it you know you how many people get. You know, a person traveled from, we had a meeting in a front, a person traveled in the, in the, in the Minharot and there are, you know, rocks raining down all the time, you know, and we're just supposed to take it and not respond because that, you know, we're, we're peaceful people and it's not everyone. That's true, but people have a breaking point also. And I think right. that there's no understanding of that. There's no sensitivity to that. Not none. There's a lack of sensitivity to that, that people don't understand that, that, that a sense of fatigue and anger can lead people to to conclusions that are, might be ideologically incorrect, but understandable. Not that I agree with them, but understandable. And, and that people begin to, begin to sympathize with them when life becomes intolerable. But that's, you, you know, that's, that's, there's, there's an absurdity to the fact that, that, we're, we're, that there are op-eds that are written from here till tomorrow about, about a political party, but not one voice in anguish. And you know, where's there Benny Lau's anguish about a girl being raped and murdered in a park in Yerushalayim out of, out of, you know, literal terror motivations. Why? Because we just accept it. And that's, an, that's something that's absurd also. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was going to add, you've described how frustrated politics leads to the converging towards uh, religious ideals and ideologies, which become more attractive because perhaps they answer the calling that you're seeking. Uh, I referred previously to Rabbi Sachs, but in that same book, Not in God's Name, he's quite emphatic that politics isn't a religion nor substitute for it, because religion seeks truth and politics deals in power. But what I would say is only a rabbi living in the diaspora could say that, because the interchange between politics, power, religion, and truth is so... Um, complex and nuanced here in Israel, that while I'd hope that we can draw those distinctions, I believe we should draw these distinctions. I think uh, already 70 years young still, the modern state, it's already impossible to draw distinctions between religion and politics. So 
whatever, whether it's a chicken or the egg, whether, it's the, whether the politics leads people to certain ideologies, or certain ideologies lead people to particular politics, ultimately this is a conflation of, of power, of struggle, of numbers, of aspiration, or of, of fear. It is a form of apocalyptic politics, which is never a good thing. Nonetheless, so much of politics in Israel is. So while this is a very extreme example of something which has made people sit up, uh, anybody who's been living here for enough times knows that uh, in every place in the political field, there are moments where you question how healthy a particular position or comfortable you are with a particular party or person is. Uh, so this is where things are at. I would also add... I would just add that that um, I, I, I Dafka because I, you know because I hear what you're saying. That's why we have to be so careful about drawing the red lines. Um, people are frustrated. They're angry. That's great. Be frustrated. No, but, you know we can understand it. But then, but that's so. Then meaning I don't want to get into the politics of this. But there are other right wing parties you can vote for. If you want to move the conversation, you know, more to, to, you know, like a more, a place where you feel that, you know, the things that you were talking about is heard. You don't have to descend into the lowest, um, the places where, 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 ang where the anger and the frustration and the pain and the mourning express themselves in ethically problematic perspectives, right? Like, vote Ben Shaked. You know what I mean? And again, I don't mean that in a political way. I, what I mean is there are people who are, or, or again, then, right, if you, if you say Ben Shaked, or I, I want to say thing, something even more strongly. Okay, then vote Ichud Umi, but then maybe you really have to say that it's really even more important for Ichud Umi to draw the line between themselves and Otsma Yehudi. Because, like, there is a line, and you can't use what you described. All of the all of that frustration and anger is is understandable, but that doesn't that, that doesn't um, excuse us. There's another word. Exonerate us from still drawing our ethical lines. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really ideologically that's really really important to do. It, it can't be an excuse. It can't be an excuse to erase the line. I, I agree with you. I of course agree. Rebeim with you. are speaking out against it. Right? I agree with you, but I would expect, I would expect yeah. there to be large, louder voices and broader voices in the religious Zionist community who would say the same things. And their silence, to me, speaks volumes. Wait, what do you think it's saying? Sorry, just that last question for you. You think I it's agree. saying this, or you think it's saying that they're exhausted, you understand it, you don't understand it, or you just leave it as a giant question mark? I, I leave it as a giant question mark. I think that it could be, well, we don't want to get into politics, but rabbis never had a problem getting into politics and, and other issues of religion and state. They have no problem saying other things. I think that there's more sympathy than we want to admit. And I respect the Gush and the liberal wing for speaking as strongly as they do. And, you know, no one's going to come out and uh, officially endorse uh, the, you know, Osma Yehudid. But I think uh, sometimes Shtika is really Kehoda. And uh, that's something that has to be addressed as well. That's all, that's all I'll say. I don't sympathize with it. I really don't. But it speaks to me. It speaks to me in, the, in, in its statement as a, not that I agree with it, in its statement as a, as a sign of acquiescence. Shikakahoda, as I said. Johnny, you disagree? I, I don't know if I disagree because I don't necessarily know what people are thinking, you know, as you say, sometimes silence is as if a, a person is agreeing. Sometimes people aren't being silent, but they're not necessarily making explicit posts on, on Facebook or social media because they really haven't got the time for the torrent of responses from the right to the left to tell them how right or wrong they are. Sometimes a person may well say, I know that I'm not going to please all the people on this issue, so uh, I'd rather keep my views relatively private. I don't know. Um, I think, um, sorry. I, I, I think that's I, also I, true, by the way. I think that people who, who think it's not so simple think it's not so simple. But I don't necessarily so like it's. Why don't they think it's simple? It's not so simple for what reason? Ideological. Again, that's where I say to you, I'm not sure whether it's ideological or it's political. I'm not sure. Meaning, I would it would be very sad to me if it were more ideological than political. Okay, I, but if it's political, sure. Rabbi, Blau, Rabbi Blau wrote 
and you know, Moshe Lichtenstein wrote, politics is not Trump ethics. Okay, but what I'm saying is the other people who are silent are like, that's very nice for you to say, but like, I don't want a left-wing government in charge of my country. And they don't have to have a I know we're not a political. I know we're not a, those numbers. We're not okay, a political. But that's what they're saying. That's what they're I saying. Know. I know we're not, not a political podcast, but I really never understood that because every concession of land ever done was done by a right-wing government. So like, I never like it. Always, they always okay, Again, we're not a political podcast, but I will say I lived here under governments that were, I lived here under, you know, well, let's just say the governments that were left-wing, it was not fun. Really? You felt it in more and more pronounced in a more pronounced way. Oh, without a question. Are you kidding me? I lived here during the Intifada. I lived, I, uh, it was not fun. Believe uh-huh. me. Okay. So if you just say it's a political statement, I guess we'll have to leave it at that. <laughs> All right. I think we're going on. I don't know. Question. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I, I, and again, I would like to end by saying I agree with those who say that even if it's important politically, I would still say don't do it because we still need to, we have to stand up for our religious values and especially because this is a religious issue, you got to draw the line. That's, that's, I'd like to end there. Even if I'm, you know, trying to be Malabay Tzchut on the other side, I, I still, I, I think Rav Gigi's was the, was the post that, yes. that I had with most. Okay, Rajani, you want to have something to add? No, I, I, I agree with Mali in her summary. I agree with uh, Rav Gigi's uh, response, which I think we'll happily post on our Facebook feed. Uh, you know, um, there are people who say that a psak without a consideration of ethics isn't worth the paper written on it. That was a, a remark by um, Rav uh, Nachum Rabinovich. I think politics without a consideration of ethics is even more dangerous. Uh, okay. And uh, wherever a person stands, you, they really have to remember that to be a chosen nation, as I say, is somebody who uh, is a servant of God and, and take into consideration what they believe to be the Ratzon Hashem and... And where I stand, uh, the partnership is a distasteful one, uh, at the very least. Nonetheless, I know that my neighbors perhaps take a different view because they view politics as a distinct notion of ideology. I can't separate the two. Okay, I want to thank Rabbi Johnny Solomon and Mrs. Molly Brasky. Uh, we're going to leave it here. This has been RZ Weekly. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can uh, feel free to comment on our Facebook page. Just search for RZ Weekly. If you like this podcast, then please feel free to share, tell your friends about it. That's how you get the word out. We very much appreciate it. Or rate us on iTunes. You can rate us basically anywhere where the podcast appears. I also want to thank Patakas Falter for our intro music and outro music. Have a great week, everybody.